Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Daniel Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Cursed, and my horrible solo music. You listen to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Crank it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 35 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor, and during this show, we have a great interview with Don Jameson. And um, very cool, uh, was very cool talking to him. Uh, this interview is the most explicit interview I've ever done, so be forewarned. If you're at work, if you're listening to this with your kids... Uh, there's more than one F-bomb, there's more than one curse that goes on, so uh, yeah, now would be the time to shut this off and decide to play this at another time, but uh, yes, had a lot of fun interviewing Don, had a great time editing the interview, was going to cut some things out, and uh, you know what, I figured to leave it in, I usually cut out a lot of, you know, my uh, responses 
going back and forth just because I find them to be, I don't know, annoying. Um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I left them in this time around, so you'll hear plenty of rights, plenty of yes, and things of that nature, you know. It's sort of bearable this time around, and it makes sense because, you know, this is like a, a long conversation that I have with Don here. And uh, we touch on a lot of interesting things, but most importantly is his new album, Live and Hilarious. And uh, it came out at the end of last month, uh, came out April 27th. It is a very funny album if you're into the dark sort of humor that is famous uh, or that famously comes from the New York tri-state area. This is right up your alley. He talks about a lot of things that are definitely not politically correct and definitely not um, humorous to everyone. And um, just before we, we get into things, you know, there there's a point of the interview where I mention how cool it is hearing people groan to one of his jokes. Well, that's that sort of, you know, again, New York tri-state area uh, humor where you sort of get something where it's like you groan, but that's funny because it's just so over the top and outrageous that, you know, it's just great, <laughs> you know. So, um, so yes, had a lot of fun doing this. And what we're going to do is, um, you know what, since Bumblefoot was actually, actually forms part of the CD, let's actually play the new Bumblefoot track, Invisible. Uh, just because I think the track is really cool, and this way we help put Bumblefoot's music out there as well. Uh, but check out the cool track that he does for Mr. Jameson there at the beginning of Live and Hilarious. And what we'll do is we'll play a little bit of this Bumblefoot track and then play the interview in its entirety. So here we go, Bumblefoot and Invisible. <laughs>
as far as when you put jokes together, is it more difficult for you now that people are looking out for everyone to be uh, politically correct? Do you think that that hinders comedy, or do you think that actually that works in your favor? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, it it hinders comedy because you start to think like, you know, when Gilbert Gottfried got – you know, fired from Aflac, you know, for tweeting offensive jokes and make no mistake, they were offensive, but they were, they were freaking funny too, you know? So (laughs) it it just depends on where you, you know, you draw the line and that's, that's, see, that's the scary point. I mean, everybody's idea of comedy is different. You know, what, what would offend you might not offend me and vice versa. So, you know, all you can do as a comic is just be truthful, you know, um, and just, you know, talk on stage like, you know, you feel comfortable the way that, you know, the way that you perform the way you want to perform and the people who like it will come and see you and the people who don't, you know, you'll weed them out and then they can go all watch Sinbad. <laughs> well, my next point when, uh, or my next question when I put it together, that's actually who I had in mind based on a um, a quote that Jim Norton, I heard Jim Norton say on the radio years ago. And my question to you is this. What do you think is more difficult, staying relevant as a comedian or as a musician? I think probably staying relevant as a musician because, you know, things – I mean, comics will always be in in style, you know. I mean, and you'll always find an audience for you, you know, as a comic. You can always work. Like, comics don't really go on tour. You know, comics just work all the time. But bands have to, you know, they have to stay relevant. They have to, you know, especially a lot of the older metal bands, you know, they, they, you know, they got to figure out, you know, these new ways of media to get seen and and heard from, you know, a a lot of bands resisted being in in like, you know, rock bands and video games. And now they embrace that because they have to, that's the only, you know, and getting on, you know, there's guys, 60 year old guys who are on, you know, Twitter because they want to keep their bands alive and and that's what they got to do. So I, and then, you know, the, 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 uh, music changes, you know, you know, every decade, it, it, it seems like there's, you know, something's, you know, in and then it's out. And, you know, as a band, you, you know, you want to grow and you want to keep your original sound, but, you know, you also, you know, you also want to change a little bit with the times and stay relevant. I mean, look at, you could, you can tell when people, you could tell when metal bands change in the eighties, just, you know, just look at some of their albums, like, you know, pre put out turbo. I mean, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't even have to know when that came out. The minute you hear it, you go, Oh my God, they did this in the eighties, you know? And that's what happens. Yeah. But no, I think com- comedy, I mean, to stay relevant is, is just to, you know, stay current with what's going on in the world um, and address that in your act. And of course, you know, what's cur- what's, you know, current, you know, with yourself and your life. I'm not the same guy I was in my thirties, you know, so I can't, talk about you know going out and doing the things i did when i'm 30s i'm you know i'm in my mid 40s now and i have a different life so gotcha okay um you also and no had the opposite Sin, and no disrespect to sinbad <laughs> but he's he 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 is a good punchline for you know the the ultimate clean comic you know him and dave coulier and and we can't have a whole world of, of sinbads and dave coulier's because then nobody you know then, <laughs> then nobody's funny you know you got to have difference you got to have Stephen Wright, you gotta have, you know what I mean? You gotta have deadpan guys, you gotta have high energy guys, you gotta have, you know, like Lisa Lampanelli, comics with balls and Norton, you know, you gotta, 
you got to have all types, you know, but not everybody's going to appeal to everybody across the board. I kind of don't want to appeal to everybody because then it just means, you know, I, I just, I hit with everybody. I, I don't think that's such a good thing. Right. No, I, I you know, completely agree with you. You know, I, I, I don't want my parents to like Black Sabbath and, and, you know, <laughs> early ACDC and I don't want them to like Amana Marth either, you know, yeah, there's a reason, right. you know, rock and roll is, is cool and dangerous. If my parents like it, you know, I'm going to have to get rid of it. I'm going to have to take it out of my CD collection. Now, you just hit on an interesting point that I hear younger musicians talk about all the time. Um, when we get into the argument of what's still metal and what isn't, and I think a lot of it has to do with what you just said. If your parents were listening to Metallica, it might not be cool to someone that's, you know, uh, 17 and listening to Amon Amarth, like you just said. Well, yeah. So, well, that's the thing. I mean, you, 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 okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 go ahead. No, I mean, um, what's crazy now, man, is groups like Metallica, Motley Crue, Scorpions, um, you know, ACDC, you know, even some Sabbath. They're, that's what's being played on classic rock now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like classic rock used to be Clapton and, you know, Zeppelin and Boston and, and bands like that. Now a lot of metal bands have become classic rock bands, which is right. weird, which is not, which is not to say it's necessarily a bad thing, except for the fact that, you know, they only ever played the same three songs by all those bands over and over. If that, I mean, you know, I, you know, they've been playing Thin Lizzy Jailbreak in this country, you know, for 30 years. <laughs> and it's one of the most underrated bands in the world. And Boys Are Back in Town's a great song. But Jesus, there's probably 50 better songs that they have in their catalog that could be played that, that would be great on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Scorpions is the one that I hear all the time, too. Oh, they only release Rocky Like a Hurricane and Winds of Change. I'm like, are you kidding me? Go back to you know, Love Drive or Animal Magnetism or Blackout and check out all the cool shit they did on there. Yeah, go back to the Willie John Roth days, man. Go back to the yeah. early days, Virgin Killer and all that, Taken by Force. Those albums are great. And so, no, I mean, a lot of, a lot of metal bands have, have, have been able have, you know, Metallica kind of lost their edge along the way, but they, they refound it again, and that's okay. I mean, you know, I, I respect bands that take a chance, you know, when we had Kirk Hammond yeah. on that metal show and, you know... I, I said to him, I said, I really respect, you know, one thing I respect about you guys is even though you went off on a tangent and you knew you were going to be crucified for certain things, you did it anyway, because you have to explore as a band, you know, different ways of, you know, creating music. And they did. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it was saying anger. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, it's similar to what you said, though, you know, as a comic, you're not 30 anymore. You know, it's the same thing with Metallica. People have this almost like a utopia type image of when they first heard Metallica. I think it's similar to the first time they got laid. They think it's going to be that same experience <laughs> over and over again, but they don't realize that, you know, you move on in life. You know, you're not 17 hungry looking for, you know, whatever to sell out a show or to get, you know, screw 15 chicks that night. You're 30 something have, 10 Ferraris, five mansions, and life is mm -hmm. great. You know, you got to look for other things that keep your interest. So, 
Yeah, you got to still find, you know, things to make you hungry. Absolutely, dude. Because, yeah. you know, you can hear the angst and the anger in those early um, Metallica albums, definitely. But, yeah, I mean, they, their whole career doesn't have to be that. I mean, it's, you know, they, yeah. they can have different levels and different shades of the same band. And um, as far as, you know, getting laid being like the first time, I don't know. I still have 15 seconds, so it kind of is for me. <laughs> Sadly, I guess my girlfriend is true. <laughs> as far as when you're writing material, you've written a lot of stuff behind the scenes for other people, and obviously you've written stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, is it more difficult to write stuff for other people? Or is it harder to write stuff for yourself? Oh boy, um, it's um, I don't know, man. I it, I guess it's it's I think it's be- a, a little harder um, sometimes to actually write for yourself, believe it or not, because right. you know the I'm doing it 15 years, and when you first start out, you have like you can write about anything because you haven't written anything <laughs> yet, like the whole world is in front of you. You know, you could write about a chair, a horse, sex, you know, politics, whatever you want to, you know, write about, it's out there. And then as you sort of find your voice and realize like the things you want to talk about, it does become tougher because, you know, you'll write something, spend time writing something really funny. And then you'll just to realize like, eh, it's funny, but it doesn't really fit what I do. When I write for other people, it's like, I write a bunch of funny stuff, hit send and let, you know, them pick, you know, what they want to use, you know, and, and I don't worry about right. it because maybe it would be stuff I would use and maybe it wouldn't be. Right. Have you ever written anything purposely knowing that you were going to fuck with someone, knowing that they were absolutely not going to do it because it was too over the top for them? Or have you always more or less written along the lines of what that person is going to do? Well, like, you know, and I, you know, I write for, for this great comic that I mentioned before, Lisa Lampanelli, and there's definitely, and she's, I mean, her, she's very over the top as a comic, um, which I love. Um, and when I write, but what I, yeah, sometimes when I write from her, I'll write something like so insane that like even she wouldn't say it, but yeah, I just do it to make her laugh. And every once in a while, she'll surprise me and use it. And I'll go, oh right. my God, and I'll write to her, I'll go, you know, <laughs> I just wrote that as a joke between me and you. I wasn't expecting you to use it. And she was she'd right. be like, no, it was great. It was great. It was awesome. It was offensive and dirty and perfect. <laughs> cool. Um, did you ever expect to win an Emmy? No, come on, dude. I'm, I, you know, I grew up in Jersey. I had a mullet, you know, <laughs> I had a $300 car with a $900 stereo in it half my life. <laughs> You know, I listen to metal, you know, and I love it because it does. It blows the stereotype of a, of a dopey metalhead, but um, right. But it was wild, man. Yeah, of course, I would never thought I'd never thought I'd win any kind of award, you know. So when I got it, it was, um, I was like, you know, mailed to my parents' house, man. So uh, they start returning my calls. <laughs> you needed like some I'm, leverage. I think I have something going on now, yeah. <laughs> How important was winning the the Emmy to you? Outside of putting those uh, stereotypes away, did you feel you know a sense of accomplishment? You know that maybe people outside of the metal or the uh, community of you know comedy uh, would start to take you serious or would accept you more, or did none of that even matter to you? 
no, all those things crossed my mind, and none of them happened. So, you know, <laughs> the, the only thing I got out of an Emmy, you know, was, you know, uh, was, I, you know, it was a great aphrodisiac on my nightstand. You know, when, when chicks would come over, they would, you know, if they'd be deciding whether to put out or not, they'd see the Emmy, and that would be, you know, they'd be like, oh, this guy's got something happening, you know. Maybe I'll throw him, you know, maybe I'll throw him some drawers or something, you know. So, but other than that, no, it didn't really do much, but it's a, it's a great honor. It's probably the only kind of major award like that I'll ever win. And uh, I'm really proud of it, man. So, you know, you know, in a serious way, it's just a personal, a personal accomplishment that I'm proud of. And, you know, anybody else that, you know, dig, digs it and, you know, takes it for what it is, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, being a comic, it's just you got to go out and prove yourself every night. doesn't matter how many fucking yeah. statues you have on your shelf. <laughs> every night's a new night. Every yeah. night's a new night, you know. Every crowd's a new crowd. And you got to bring it. And they don't – you can line up the awards on the stage and no one's going to care. If, you know, someone had a hard week at work and they paid money, they they want to laugh, man. So you got always got to deliver. Yeah. Yeah, the statue isn't going to make you any more or less funny, although it may work better than Astroglide, from what you're saying. Well, much better, much better. And it's like it's like it's like it's like being in the frequent flyer program when you have that, you know. Like if you know if the girl wasn't going to put out, you automatically get upgraded to sex <laughs> with the Emmy. So you know, but right. I have a girl. I have a girlfriend now, and I. So far, I haven't had to use the Emmy to get laid with her, but I'm keeping it in the closet just in case. Might have to bust just it in out. Case. Right. Yeah. Um, when you were writing the material for Live and Hilarious, did your job at uh, that metal show ever come to mind? Did you ever say, shit, you know, if I throw this in there, uh, I may catch some flack from the network or, or anything like that? Never. Because you can't, like I said, you you can't do that. You can't, you know, you, you can't let the, you know, when you're on TV, there's certain, you know, standards and and legally things you can and can't say on television, and that's that's across the board of any TV show. So, you know, that's yeah. something you have to deal with there. But as far as what I do on stage by myself in front of an audience, that's my business. No one, no one breaks my balls up there, man. That's the one place in the world. It's the one creative outlet that I have where nobody can break your balls, you know? And like, right. like I mentioned earlier, when Gilbert Godfrey got fired from Affleck, you know, I start seeing stuff like that and, and I'm going, you know, when are they going to start putting, you know, guys in suits in the back of comedy clubs and taking notes and coming up to you <laughs> afterwards and saying, bringing you a back room like in Vegas and, go, hey, if you, you know, talk about Obama like this, you know, we're going to, you know, break your knuckles or something, you know. Like, that's right. how I feel as a comic. Like, that's the last that's the last place we have to express ourselves. Right. So, but I'm, I'm sure, look, the people, the people at the network, you know, know my sense of humor. And, you know, I've been right. doing it 15, I've been doing it 15 years. So they're not worried about, um, you know, me doing anything, you know, well, more inappropriate than I'm already doing. <laughs> so on the one hand, they they knew what they were getting into, and on the other hand, you're you know where to draw the line. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, well, like George Carlin once said, you know, it's a comedian's duty to find out where the line is and then purposely cross it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so it's it, it's it's all good. It's all comedy. You know, it's 
it's jokes and that's the most important yeah. thing. And people, people do lose sight of that. And I get it, you know, uh, when there's, when there's big tragedies like the thing in Japan and stuff like that, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's in this country, there's a million comics who are all figuratively staring at one another, thinking the same thing. Who's going to do the first joke? You know, right. like who's going to be the first one with the balls to tell the first Japan joke. And, right. you know, unfortunately, Affleck had so much business over there. And, you know, of course, money is always the, the bottom line. You know, comics don't care about money. We care about entertaining. So, um, right. you know, Gilbert, uh, you want to talk about you, you, you get what you deserve. I mean, <laughs> Gilbert's the most offensive comic, like, for the last 15 years in this country. Right. You know, you know he, he did the dirtiest version of the aristocrats. You know, in a feature film where he talked, where he you know did nine eleven jokes in in the middle of it. You know, he he does you know racist jokes on the Stern Show. Uh, you know, he talked about masturbating when he was on the Emmys. He did a whole monologue about masturbating and got banned from the Emmys. And you know, who did you know who did they think they were hiring? You know, and, yeah. you know Dave Coulier. No, I mean that's a Gilbert. But because the bottom line was seventy five percent of the business was in Japan, they, that's when they got pissed off. So. You know, you hit him in the wallet, and it's in the almighty yen and starts talking. Yeah. It does make you scratch your head, you know, knowing his past and everything that you would think he'd stay squeaky clean just because he signed, you know, a deal with them. No, and 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 I defend him on that. Whether you think the jokes are funny or they weren't, that's that's fine. Like I said, that's subjective opinion. But he has the right to make them, you know, just like obviously has the right to fire them, so... You know, right. it's just, uh, you, you know, you do what you do and, you know, you, you try to use your best judgment and, you know, you look, we're all, like I said, we're just trying to entertain people. Yeah. Why was now the right time to release this album? You know, I, I, I people always ask me, are you going to do a live album? And I was like, I, I do want to do one, but I, I want to do, I want to do one different than what other people have done. You know, a lot of comics have put out albums. And they've been right. great albums, you know. I mean, you know, my buddy Florentine from the from the TV show, he's he's put out a couple of live albums just on his own, and they're great albums. I mean, they're just as good as, you know, any other albums that are out there. But I was like, I just want to do something different. I want to have a different spin on it. And when the Metal Blade thing came around, I was like, oh, man, this is what I've been looking for, you know. Tie in my connection with the metal community, right. with, you know, my love for stand-up and my, you know, loud, aggressive style on stage fitting in with what Metal Blade has been doing for, you know, almost the last 30 years, which has put out loud and aggressive music. So, you know, um, being the first comic signed to Metal Blade is, you know, one of my proudest moments ever. Yeah, definitely. I'm on a label with King Friggin' Diamond, man. How cool is that? (laughs) It's definitely awesome. Without a doubt. Um, Speaking of that, what do you feel is a bigger influence for you after all these years? Comedians or musicians, or do they both equally help drive what you do? Both equal, man. Oh, and it's always been that way. I mean, you know, Ozzy's like Rodney Dangerfield. He's got so many one-liners, <laughs> you know? Like the guys, you know, the guy might not always be there all the time, but he's always, he's always ready with a quick one-liner, and he's always hysterical. You know, Le- Lemmy is, you know, Lenny the same way. Lenny's like, you know, he's got that dry British, 
you know, deadpan thing. And he's, he's always, he always has these just hilarious pearls of wisdom, you know, right. the, the, the late Pete Steele uh, would between every song would be self-deprecating about his own band, you know? So there was right. so much humor. I always saw, you know, in metal, I mean, even like Alice Cooper to me is like, you know, the thing that always, no matter how many people try to do what he d- does, they'll never, ever be able to do it because they'll never capture the essence of humor that he always did. Like no matter how dark the stage show ever was, there was still, you know, that blink of the, that wink of the AI, that tongue in cheek thing that he was doing underneath the right. surface the whole time, you know? So, but not a lot of comics inspire me too. You know, I mean, George Carlin, you know, Dice is my comedy hero, Andrew Dice Clay. And right. so I love, I love tons of comics, but you know, musicians, even humor-wise, Bon Scott, Bon Scott's lyrics, you know, the way he would turn a phrase, you know, would be hilarious, you know, like just his, the, right. his, the way he worded things, you know. He would have been a great comic because he had such a specific way of saying things in the songs where, you know, he had this little nasty, mis- mischievous sense of humor, you know, throughout their music, right. But even though the music wasn't funny, but his lyrics were, you know, so... There's yeah. a lot of humor in metal, and I always picked up on that, and I always loved that about heavy metal and hard rock. Yeah, absolutely. And that uh, with Ozzy, I have to agree. My brother and I used to sit around just watching, uh, what was it, Don't Blame Me, as I think is the name of the uh, old VHS, and just crack yeah. up to everything he would say. I mean, regardless whether he was talking about you know, suicide or anything else, just the shit he would say in conjunction to every you know, uh, theme was just hilarious. Whether he was out of his mind or not, it was just funny as hell. Yeah, because and, you know why? Because he, he was honest. Like, he always gives yeah. honest answers to everything. You know, even when he was all, you know, fucked up on drugs and people would ask him a question, he said, because I'm a junkie. You know, like, he would, <laughs> he, he, would, he would just be so brash and honest about stuff that he made him funny and lovable, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, n- not in the way the Osbournes did. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't crazy about that period. But if you any interview that he ever does, he he kills you. He cracks you up because he's yeah. so honest and and just he'll tell you anything. Yeah, and I think the Osbournes just go to show how good uh, editing has come. Mm-hmm. You know, all these years later, because as you're saying, you know, growing up watching his. Uh, various interviews. I remember listening to him come on late night in NEW every time they were in New York and just hearing him like crack jokes or whatever. And you knew, or at least when you watch the Osbournes, you're like, what the hell happened to this guy? You know, either he's far beyond fucked up or they're editing the shit out of it. And once you see the interviews, the regular interviews that he does now, you could tell that they had their way with, with the material just to make him look stupid. Well, yeah, I mean that the thing was like that. That was that was the point in his career where he was safe for parents and stuff, you know. And that's why yeah. I hated that period of him doing the show. I mean, look, I'm glad, I, you know, in a sense, you know, I'm glad because it obviously it made him, you know, an even bigger superstar. He put his name, you know, he became a household name from it, and that, you know, that's good for metal. But you know, as far as you know, I, you know, the thing I always say is. I want to. I want to know Ozzy as Iron Man, not a man ironing. <laughs> Very true. So that's that's how yeah. I feel about that period. But you know, I love Ozzy's music, and like I said, I I, I love listening to him talk because he's hysterical. 
Michael. And, you know, he got, and we had Alice Cooper on that metal show. I've never heard the guy tell the same story twice. I mean, he, he is absolutely amazing. He has a million hilarious stories and you'll be sitting there laughing and he's, he's, he's telling, he's like, he's like the Bill Cosby of metal, man. He'll tell these long stories with, you know, and you'll be laughing and following along and, and then he'll just knock you off your socks with like a final tagline. And I'm just sitting there going, right. you're showing me up here, Coop. I'm the comedian, you know, who's, you know, <laughs> you know, he's amazing like that. So, um, you know, I totally respect guys like that. But he isn't pushing pudding at the end, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Not yet, yeah. Um, touching back on something else he said, I absolutely think that Lemmy's book is by far the best autobiography I've read just because of the comedic aspect to everything that he has in there. I think maybe Jericho is the only other person. I haven't read the second book yet, but the, his first book is the only other book sort of in my opinion, that same realm where they tie, you know, music, comedy, or in Jericho's case, wrestling as well, into the whole mm -hmm. thing. I agree, too. I, you know, Jericho's first book was hysterically funny. Like, his just little references all along the way in the book just kept you, you know, kept you on your toes. Like, you just didn't expect yeah. it. And he has a lot of those in the second book and a lot of metal-related ones. And he even said there's a few, there's like a really, like, obscure, like, Dio reference in there to like some huh. to the previous sentence and he just writes he goes he goes i know this is only that line was only for about three people out there but i don't care and i love that <laughs> you know i love that irreverent you know sense of humor and you know yeah. it's it's and and his unabashed love for metal you know that he you know he doesn't care it's like he it's funny to him and he's going to put it in and of course lemmy's the same lemmy's like ozzy he just tells the truth and he doesn't care he doesn't care to be politically correct he doesn't care if you like him or not he doesn't you know, he you know he doesn't care if if you if you're offended by the fact that he collects Nazi memorabilia. He doesn't care. Right. He's he's fucking Lemmy, and that's it. Right. Absolutely. And um, that's why he's one of my idols. <laughs> there you go. Um, as far as the material that you wrote for this show for the um, for this album for Live and Hilarious, how long did it take you to put all that together? It's it's a, it's a compilation basically of, of everything I've written over the last like 14 years. So it's you know it's pieces from the early days and it's piece it's pieces as recent as the week before um, when I was or the week of when I was um, warming up in Kansas City doing a bunch of shows getting ready to do the album. So it's it's a it's a it's a long cross section of my career because I can't really go back and do a whole set of stuff I did 10 years ago because it wouldn't be relevant. So I just took bits and pieces from sort of each era and, um, you know, put them all together on one album, you know, cause there's real current stuff like about, you know, about, you know, President Obama and, you know, terrorism and, and then, you know, there's stuff, you know, obviously tons of sex jokes and, you know, can never have a good comedy album with a couple fat chick jokes. So I kind of took everything <laughs> and, stirred it in a pot and, uh, and put it in there and did it, put it out in front of a crowd of a few hundred, um, crazy friends and metal heads and fans in New Jersey. And I'm real proud of the way it came out. Yeah. It's a real, real funny album from start to finish. It's funny how you start off and you know, the first thing you hear when you tell the first joke is just a bunch of groans. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right you can tell that, 
you know, again, that the album is as as PC as as possible. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But no, it was a, it was a, yeah. I, I loved, I loved just the way, and you know, a lot of comics will tape like seven shows, and they'll make like yeah. every joke will kill, kill, kill. This album is pretty much as live as it gets. I mean, it's it's ninety seven percent from one show. Like I taped two shows that night, but the second show was just sort of like. You know, a couple, you know, a bunch of people from the first show stuck around and then like, you know, 20 new people came in. So it was just like a very small, small, intimate setting. And so, but we only took a few bits from that. So it really is, it's as live as you can get. I mean, you know, if you want to yeah. talk about live albums, I mean, I didn't, I didn't pull a kiss and re-record the whole thing <laughs> in the studio and then put it out. Yeah, now you're touching on something there. You could have done uh, Don Jameson live at Budokan. Yeah, <laughs> Don Jameson alive one and two, and re-recorded it, you know, all the parts, and and then put it out, and and beefed up the the laughter. But I didn't do any of that. And I love, by the way, I love those two of my favorite live albums to this day. I don't care how they did them, but um, but yeah, it's 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 live. And um, yeah, if I had if I would had been if I was working for Aflac at the time, I'd probably be fired by now. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, I think that's pretty cool that, you know, I mentioned that the people groan there, but it's, you know, the album does definitely, um, as you're saying, it doesn't sound like every every single joke is a home run because it's edited that way. You truly get a feeling for the crowd, and, you know, you get people that cheer, and at the same time, you get people that groan because, you know, how far the joke has gone or whatever, and I think it's it's perfect. You know, it's actually what comedy should be and it shouldn't always be, you know, home runs. So. Yeah. Well, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoy it. I'm glad you get it. I mean, you're a Jersey guy, so I would have figured that, but, um, yeah, it's, um, I'm real happy with it. I think, I think stuff's really, you know, there's a lot of strong stuff on there and there is, there is pretty much something for everybody. And yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I just, uh, Metal Blade's been, been amazing about it, and they're they're really happy with the material. So, um, uh, you know, I hope it does well, and I hope to do another record with them. I'm already working on some uh, real grown-worthy stuff for the second one, so. Cool. It should be cool as well. Um, yeah, man. What city was the hardest for you to get over in? <sighs> What city is the hardest for me to get over in? I tell you, man, the toughest audiences are are New York and L.A. I mean, musicians will tell you the same thing. Like you can come, you could come through New York and have, and, you know, no, no band out there. I don't care what part of the world you're from, doesn't come to New York and get excited and think like, oh, we're performing in New York tonight. This is amazing, you know, and then go right. out. And get one of those jaded <laughs> asshole New York crowds, you know. And, right. But you still, but every time you can't help yourself. You, I'm thinking about playing in New York, and then, God right. damn it, there's those assholes again. And then you come through, and you just you have a show, the most magical show you've ever had in your career, you know. So it, it's a city, you know, and LA is the same way because it's, it's, it's such a hub for industry, you know. And so everybody right. sees every show that comes through. So it's like what do you got for me? You know? And <laughs> if they're into you, forget it. You, you will have, you'll have the best night of your life. And if, but if they're not, he'll be like, why do I love coming here? This sucks, you know, but 
<laughs> you know, so those are the toughest towns, man. When I go out to the Midwest and, you know, other big cities like Chicago and Baltimore and Detroit and even Kansas City, man, those crowds are great, man. They eat this shit up, you know, and it's so cool, you know. It, it's, you know, comedy now is like, you know, when you used to go to small towns in the Midwest, people would be a little more put off or if you were in the Bible Belt, you know, and right. you started talking about God or something, forget it, man. You know, they'd run you, you know, they'd send a guy with three teeth and a shotgun to escort you out of the back <laughs> of the club before you got killed, you know. But now with right. the, inter the internet and those 18 million channels, you know, I mean, even in the double wides down there, they have a hundred and something channels. So, you know, right. everybody's exposed to everything, you know, so they, you know, you're not coming with these radical ideas anymore. It's just like, okay, yeah, we know this. We've heard this stuff before. Come, you know, give us more, give us more, you know? So that's made that, you know, cause people go, oh, he's from New York. We're not going to identify with him. That, that those days are gone. You know, everybody yeah. knows everything. You know, if I, I get, I go to Canada, Canada's audiences are amazing. And I don't change one thing in my act because they are, they're hip to everything down here. They get the same TV shows. they, they read, yeah. they know more about American politics than we do, you know? And if you, if you're an American comic, you just mentioned like, you know, Stephen Harper, their prime minister, they'll give you a standing ovation, just that you're an American who actually knows something about Canadian politics. So, you know, right. it's, 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 you know, we, it's a, you know, it's, it, what I'm saying, Victor, is it's a small world after all. Yeah. So it's interesting though, just listening to uh, what you described with, not only LA and New York, but everything in between. It's very similar to what a lot of musical acts tell me as well. You know, you got your typical folded arms, you know, mm -hmm. for the first, you know, song or two, I'm assuming it's the same deal for you. And then after that, if, if, you know, if, if they are going to dig what you're doing, they open up after that, but it's, mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. Um, yeah. I try to think of, uh, I try to think of some of the cities when you said that, and I'm like, you know, I do so well everywhere, but the, even my own hometown is, is the one place where I, you know, I still get nervous. Like, oh man, how am I gonna, how are they gonna take me here in my own backyard? You know. Yeah. Um, have any of the interviews that you've done for that metal show intimidated you? I've been a little geeked out. I'll admit it. I was definitely, I was <laughs> like, I, said, I was geeked out with Alice Cooper. You know, I was just like, you know, I'm just like sitting there staring at him, and he must have. He must have thought, like, you know, are you going to ask me out, or what are we doing here, you know? <laughs> you know, and you know who geeked me out fully was, um, was Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, man. I'm such a crazy huh. Thin Lizzy fan, and, you know, while, uh, again, in this country, it's it's criminal that they're, they're not, they haven't ever been recognized more than they have for, you know, just one or two songs, but... Um, Man, I was so geeked out by Scott Gorham, man. And I, and, I, and I was just like, I had a million questions for him. And I was like, but I can't ask all of them because he'll think I'm a stalker, you know? You know, because I want to ask about, like, what, you know, what kind of strings did you use on this song and your, on your guitar? And what, was, what did Phil say to you when you did? Like, I had a million crazy fan questions, but I had to, like, I had to rein it back because, you know, I wanted the guy to at least... Uh, you know, have a little respect for me, but I was really, I'm telling you, man, I was, I was like, I was a little schoolgirl with him. It was, it was cool though, but we got through it. Yeah. I hear you. I have plenty of those where I listen back and it sounds 
like my nuts are up in my throat thinking, holy shit, you know. Oh, you, yeah. You, <laughs> you, you listen to someone's music like you're saying with Thin Lizzy, you're really into them. And when you finally, when you're there, you have to actually hold back and like you're saying, to a T with what you said, you want to make sure that the guy doesn't think you're going to be following him home. You're right, exactly. He's going to be looking at his rear view the whole time. You know, like on this this season of that metal show, um, it's coming up in a few weeks, Sebastian Bach is on the show. And for some reason, right. I, Florentine ran into him a couple of times, like, before we taped. And the, they started to, like, sort of, you know, develop a friendship. Well, he came on the show. You, you never – Jim was smiling like, you know, he just had a threesome with Pam Anderson and Carmen Electra. I mean, <laughs> he was – he was this album's great, and he was like, he was totally like, it was total man crush, and it was so funny, you know, because we break each other's balls on the show, and um, and then like when we the week we got back, um, Eddie had Sammy Hagar on his radio show, and and like ten minutes into the interview, I text Eddie and I go, Sammy is your uh, Sebastian Bach. Because he's Eddie was so geeked out and like so treating him like he was a hot chick, and that's okay because I admit it too. You know, when when Alice Cooper yeah. was on, I was you know you couldn't contain me. I wanted to put a roofie in his drink and take him home. <laughs> uh, yep, I I I've been there. So who, I, who, I, who did you geek out at? Oh, uh, the other day I, I'm actually putting something together for my site where I'm getting different musicians and producers and everything else to, uh, to comment on, um, on different albums, on classic albums and stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, I had the opportunity to speak to, uh, Charlie Benante from Anthrax and mm -hmm. Anthrax is one of my all time favorite bands. I would say easily top 10. And I was going back and forth with someone at their label and, you know, I'm figuring, oh, I'm never going to be able to speak to this guy because, you know, I get the, well, you're not big enough routine all the time and, and all mm -hmm. that shit. So um, that same day they said, all right, get your shit together. He's going to, you know, call you in two hours. I was like, okay. So it was, all right, I got to focus on, you know, the um, the questions here, these different albums that he wants to talk about. But at the same time, you know, when Sound of White Noise, when I brought that up, it was like, oh, my God, you know, I wanted to ask him about this fill or that fill or whatever, you know, but mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, you know, the again, the giddy little schoolgirl going way over the top asking him, you know, 45 minutes of anthrax questions and, and nothing right. else. And Yeah. No, I got you. And that's the thing, too. You think what we do, and no matter how big or small it is, the venue, it's, you know, the people listening or reading also have to stay interested. So, um, yeah. you know, when Alice came on, I knew uh, there was just a few things I knew right off the bat that um, I had heard him talk about, you know, like years ago, like in maybe in like Cream magazine or something that were yeah. great stories that have never been heard before. And so, and, and there were stories that I was interested in. So I was like, cool, this will work great across the board. And then, you know, I'll see how far I can see how you know, deep I can dig after that. But, um, you know, I love that whole period where he was in the, the loony bin. Uh, they put him in a mental hospital for alcoholism, you know, because there was no right. Betty Ford back then. And he just has amazing stories and wrote a great album from that period. And I really wanted to get those stories on TV because I don't think he's ever said those things on TV before. And it was nice. Right. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's. 
you know, a lot of times what I shoot for when I talk to people is just that, you know, you look for different niches or different things to, uh, so that the interview isn't, you know, a hundred percent, which you've already heard a million times before, you know, and especially if, if you're really into an artist like that, where you do know all the little geeky details, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can go in there and pull that stuff out. And, you know, again, you sort of got to pick and choose as to which ones you get out there, but, uh, you know, it's just cool that you were able to do that with him. Yeah, he said he goes. Um, I think he said something. I don't know if it made the air, but he said something. He goes. He goes. I have. I have really. I have long time fans. A lot of long time fans. I have a lot of new fans. But then I have a special class of fans who, um, you know, back when he was drinking, you know, like a maniac, he has three albums that he doesn't even remember recording or writing or anything. <laughs> He goes, right. fans, and then there's the fans of those three albums. And he goes, you're one of those fans. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I am. That's right. Cool. You've got your own little niche there with him. Yeah, well, look, you know, like we're, we're all cut from the same cloth, metalheads, man. We, you know, we, yeah. we do, we're we nerds. We know we're, we're just like Trekkies, except, you know, we get laid and, um, <laughs> you know, we just geek out on something different. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you ever been shocked at someone coming up to you and saying that they were a fan of yours? Yeah, dude, every day, you know, it freaks me out. Because I'm, you know, I'm just a regular guy, you know. Like, I take the train and stuff when I go places. <laughs> I go in the subway. You know, I like to walk. You know, I'm a New Yorker, so I walk a lot. And, um and I don't think about like, oh, I'm on TV and people might know who I am. So I'm always like amazed when people stop me and say nice things. And I, you know, I, I'm like a chick when I walk by a construction site. Like I, I can hardly <laughs> ever walk by a construction site without a guy yelling at me, don't oh, no show, bro. You know, from like you know, 15 <laughs> stories up. You know, and it's great. And it's and and 99% of the people are positive about the show. And, but the people that really freak me out the most are the artists. I mean, that's what totally just kills me because, you know, for Rob Halford, the metal God to come on our show and say, I love the show. I Chivo it. It's a great show for metal. And, you know, <laughs> and start to talk about the sh some of the shows that he's seen, you know, right. and so so I know it's not BS. And, and every time I hear about an artist who's a fan of the show, when I hear it, I go, okay, that's cool. But then when I meet that person and, and, and they really are, it freaks. Like I, people were telling me for, for the longest time, Dave Grohl is a huge fan of the show. Right. And I'm like, well, great. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Dave Grohl. I hope we could get him on the show sometime. So when we were on the golden gods awards last year, the three of us, after after um, it was over, we went upstairs to the after party, and I walk. Me and Jim walk around the corner, and Dave Grohl just stares at us and goes, "Dudes, I love your show!" And we're like, "Holy shit! This is this guy's. <laughs> he was the drummer in Nirvana. He's You're in right. the Food Fighters. This guy he likes our show." And then Eddie walked around the corner, and he, and and Grohl's wife is like, "Uh oh, forget it. It's over now." <laughs> and he's just flipping out because he's obsessed with Stump the Trunk. And he's like, how do you, he goes, dude, how do you, how do you know so much stuff? And then he's like, well, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of stuff, but I do get a lot of those questions wrong. And, and Grohl's like, I don't care. The stuff that you do know, there's no reason to know it. 
Right. So it was like, it was amazing to meet a guy who, you know, of, of such a great stature and a great um, flag waver of metal, by the way, as you well know. You know, yeah. he wears metal on his sleeve, even though what he does maybe doesn't exactly fit in all the time with the metal or hard rock world. But, but damn, I mean, for him to like have that recognition of us and freak out, even just to walk out of my dressing room last season and Bill Ward is stabbing and standing in the hallway and he sticks his hand out and he goes, Hey Don, how you doing mate? And I'm like, why do you know my name? There's no reason for you to ever know my name. You're, you're right. fucking Bill Ward, dude. You don't, you're not supposed to know my name. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a slob from New Jersey. How do you, you know, but he watches the show and he loves the show. So it's, it's, I, I love when the fans come up, but it really freaks me the hell out when it's artists. Right. That's, that's cool. And I actually have to say that the reason why I do what I do, a lot of it has to do with Eddie and all those different tidbits. Cause I was that, 13-year-old kid listening to DHA at 12 o'clock in the morning to hear him, yep. <laughs> you know, say all those yep. little tidbits. So it's awesome. Um, I asked that same question to Carmine Apice when I interviewed him a few weeks back. And surprisingly mm. enough, the person that he told me that surprised him the most was Dice. Uh, he said that he was walking down the street in New York and Dice came up to him and said, hey, man, I'm a big fan. You know, I went through your uh, through your book. And he said, you know, my drumming book? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm a drummer from way back in the day. And that he was absolutely shocked that, you know, he never could have pictured that, you know, Andrew Dice Clay would have been a drummer in some band years ago and actually sat through one of his books to, um, to actually learn how to improve. So, Well, and and then now let's cut to two years ago in Los Angeles at a synagogue sitting at Dice's son's bar mitzvah, me, Jim Florentine and Carmine apiece. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't get any more weird than this. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's crazy. The circles we run in, but yeah, when me and Jim walk in, there's Carmine, he's got the dark shades on, you know, <laughs> yeah. And we're at Dice's, Dice's son's bar mitzvah, you know, and it's like, how surreal is this, you know, with yeah. one, of, one of the great legends of, of, of rock, you know, and one of the great legends of comedy, and we're watching his, his son get bar mitzvah together, hysterical. Absolutely, and how many times do you see a guy with purple hair at a bar mitzvah? Right, <laughs> yeah, he did, have, he did have a little, I think he called it special for the event. <laughs> Bar Mitzvah Purple. He had this special shade out. And that's all the yarmulkes in the room. <laughs> uh, the album actually drops when? Uh, April 26th it comes out, so uh, pretty soon, a couple weeks. But you can pre-order it um, at the Metal Blade site if you go to metalblade.com slash Don Jameson. And you can also, I think, go to iTunes and pre-order it. But... Um, you could definitely go to the Metal Blade site and, and pick it up if you want. And uh, and uh, I hope everybody out there enjoys it. There's actually a couple bonus tracks from I have an acoustic death metal band called Gunfire and Sodomy. Right. And um, I put a couple of our songs on the end of it too, just to give it a little, you know, a little bit more of the music connection. So but you, yeah. I hope people enjoy that too. We're kind of an acoustic death metal, tenacious D. So. Yeah, there's a, a little uh, soft, tender ballad on there called Rape Your Face. And, 
Die Pig Die is the other song. Die Pig Die is the other one. The, na- the name slipped my mind there for a second. But yes, another very calm and, and nice song there. Um, who else is part of the group? Uh, just a couple, you know, a couple of my buddies that um, I did a TV show with um, a long time ago. It's it's funny. It's just it's the most offensive, over the top, crazy de- type of death metal, and yet all three of us are like any winners for our work in television. So <laughs> it's uh, even though it, 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 even regardless of what you hear, it, there's actually some uh, pretty creative people behind. Uh, behind what we're doing. But anyway, Brian Slagle from the label really liked the stuff. And he was like, why don't you put them on there? Cause I was thinking of do- about doing like a mashup or something with like an instrumental track from one of their bands and put some of my comedy over some heavy riffs, which I still want to do at some point, you know, cause I think it'd sound really cool. But um, yeah, I think people would get a kick out of it, man. And you know, it's, like I said, the album, it's, it's packed with stuff. You know, I got Bumblefoot yeah. from Guns N' Roses who does a guitar solo and a chant with the crowd at the beginning. So, you know, if, um, you know, if you buy it and you don't like it, you know, make it, it's a good beer coaster. You know, if, <laughs> if, if you buy it and you like it, then, uh, you know, share it with other people, burn it, do whatever you want. I don't care. As, as long as it gets out there and people talk about it, that's all I care about. Okay. And where should people go to find out all types of information regarding shows that you're doing or shows that you've done or, or anything like that? The, the the Metal Blade has created a website for me that is so fantastic, and it's donjameson.com, which has existed for years, but looked like a 12-year-old did it, <laughs> like, in their spare time. It was it was just awful. And um, the people at Metal Blade took it over, and it's, like, just newly updated over the last um, couple of days. Um, and it has tons and tons of my appearances and gigs on it. Um, you can watch that metal show streaming on there. I mean, it's minutes of fun. So if you get a chance, check out donjameson.com. You can also pre-order the album from there, and it'll be on sale there, you know, from now until uh, forever. So uh, check that out too, and um, you can check out all my other comedy stuff and clips and and all that on there. And uh, that would be cool. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Crank it. Red your face. Red your fate. Red your face. Red your fate. I twitch with my excitement. Never admit what I have done. Now it's time to have my fun. Your face and bruise that bleeding. Polarize from my rage. I thought that I had loved you. Now I know that I'm insane. Rape your face. Rape your face. Your face. Rape your face. There you go. That's a little rapier face. The nice, calm, cool, and collective ballad coming off of Live and Hilarious. The Don Jameson live album, live CD, live MP3s, however you want to go out there and purchase this album. Want to thank Don for coming on, being such a great interview. Uh, Want to thank Vince over at Metal Blade for making all of this happen. 
want to remind you that this week, Friday the 13th, we debut the, or, or we take the, um, how could we say this? We open the curtains on the quote-unquote big project, and uh, all will be revealed in the next few days. Uh, sort of drop the hint of what's taking place during this interview, so if you were paying attention, uh, sort of dropped an early hint. We're a few days away, so yeah, why not? Uh, what else? Uh, just want to remind you guys to go check out MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can listen to this interview. You can stream it right off the website, or you can download it in MP3 format. You can also subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. You can subscribe to my other two podcasts in iTunes as well. You can look for Fusion Sonica, which is a Spanish-language podcast. We do play hard rock and metal during that podcast as well. Uh, We also have the incoherent ramblings of Victor M. Ruiz, who was me. And, um, you know, talk about other stuff that isn't hard rock or metal. Talk about wrestling and... TV shows and movies and things like that, you know, sort of outside of what we do here on Mars Attacks Radio. So you can just go to Victor, V-I-C-T, V-I-C-T-O-R, geez, don't even know how to spell my own name, M as in Michael, that isn't my middle name, by the way, and Ruiz, R-U-I-Z as in Zebra. See all these funky spellings when people are looking for the uh, blog itself. So yeah, that's the correct uh, the the correct URL. So check that out if you're so inclined and if you're interested in any of that stuff that I mentioned. Uh that is pretty much it. We're going to wrap things up with a classic Alice Cooper track. If you realize the beginning of the uh, episode started out with Thin Lizzy's Bad Reputation because Don mentioned he was such a big fan of theirs. Want to wrap things up with Alice Cooper since he mentioned, you know, that he was such a big fan of Alice Cooper's as well. Uh, and we're not going to play Poison, you know, this song Poison, which, you know, a lot of people would probably figure, oh, you know, he's going to play something from the 80s or, or something like that. No, no, no. We're We're going to go... We're going to go way back with um, with Alice here. We're going to go back to, as a matter of fact, to one of his very first albums. Okay? And we are going to go all the way back to 1970. Love it to death. Let's do a little bit of the ballad of Dwight Fry to wrap this episode of the Mars Attacks podcast up. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you here next time, right here on Mars Attacks. Thank you.